The Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast is made possible in part by a generous gift from Set Apart to Serve, the church work recruitment initiative of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Many church workers always knew they wanted to serve in Christ's church, but many pastors, teachers, and other full-time church workers left careers to pursue this life of service. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about a second career as a church worker, the Set Apart to Serve team wants to help. Visit kfuo.org SAS to learn more. Hey ladies, before we jump in, just wanted to give you a heads up that we talk in depth about postpartum mental health in this episode, including talk of psychosis, depression, anxiety, and suicide, along with personal stories of walking through some of these things. We wanted to be sensitive to those of you who might be bothered by this. If you're currently struggling, know you're not alone. Jesus loves you, and we as the body of Christ do too. Visit postpartum.net for immediate postpartum mental health support or call or text 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. And now, our conversation with Nadine Grail. listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. And I'm Rachel. We have a special episode for you today, guys. This episode is a long time coming. This idea came a while ago. It's been at least two years. Mm -hmm. Yes. This has been been simmering for a while. It's finally happening. Yes. And part of that was because we had to find the right person to have For this episode, because this is a heavy topic, we're talking about postpartum, mental health, depression, anxiety, all of those things. And we needed somebody that was going to be an expert on that because the three of us are not an expert on that. Several of my friends went through really, really bad postpartum depression. And I was like, this is a great topic for an episode. We can talk about some stuff. We crowdsourced some questions from the Ladies Lounge Facebook group. A lot of you have dealt with this. And so I'm really glad that we're finally able to cover this topic. And that means that we have another Lutheran lady joining us on this podcast. Joining us today is Nadine Grail. She's a licensed clinical social worker with a private practice in Montana. She's a pastor's wife, a trained deaconess, and a mom of three. So a lot of things that relate very well to a lot of our ladies in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Nadine, I'm so glad you could join us today. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. So you are an expert on this topic. You have personal and professional experience with postpartum mental health. This huge topic that we're maybe even just going to scratch the surface today because it's there's so much that goes into this. But first, what is your story? How are you connected to postpartum mental health? Right. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So treating moms who struggle with Perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, sometimes called PMADS, is a passion of mine. I myself experienced several postpartum mental health challenges after several of my children. My involvement in this kind of started when I got hired as a hospital chaplain at our local hospital. And I shared with my manager that when I struggled as a new mom after my second baby, my first girl, that there was a postpartum support group in town that was free that really helped me a lot. And I would say even saved my life. 
And I said, hey, if there's anything I can ever do about postpartum mental health to help our community, let me know. I'm in. Well, this is how God works. Within a few (laughs) weeks, two amazing lactation nurses who actually also happen to be Christians reached out to my manager, the head chaplain of the hospital, and said, hey, is there any way that you can help us? We have some moms who are really struggling. And he said, well, actually, I have a new chaplain who's interested in this. And before he knew it, I was being sent to a postpartum support international training, received two days of specialized training in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders so that I could not treat mental health disorders because at that time I wasn't educated or licensed as a therapist, but just so that I could be a support, a help. And so did the training, attended that conference, came back, and with the amazing support of the nurse manager of the Family Birth Center at the hospital and these two amazing lactation nurses and my manager, I was able to start a weekly free postpartum support group for any mom, whether she delivered at the hospital or not, on Thursday evenings. And I was able to run that for almost six years. Wow. So that was a really awesome experience for me. During that time, I found that I wanted to be able to do more. I wanted to be able to treat these disorders, not just be a support and work with the support group. So I decided to go back to school and got a second master's in social work and eventually uh, became licensed. And here I am in private practice and now on your podcast, which is really amazing. (laughs) So God really open doors for me. And because of my experience and the help I didn't get when I needed it and because of help that I got, that's one of the reasons why I'm passionate about helping not only moms, but also dads. Yeah. Who struggle. So it's obvious that there's a need out yes. there for what you do. And I love that you were able to work through a support group because I think that's such an easy entry point for people. That if you're struggling with something, it's really good to have something cheap or better yet free and Mm -hmm. easy so that you just take out those friction points that might be keeping you from getting some sort of help. Mm -hmm. But obviously there's a, there is a need. How great is that need? This is one of those topics and we like to tackle those on this podcast a lot. Topics that people don't talk about Mm -hmm. that so many people suffer from. What Mm -hmm. would you say is the prevalence of perinatal mood disorders and the various kinds of things that people suffer. It's surprisingly great. Mm. Anywhere from one in five to one in seven pregnant and postpartum moms struggles with some type of perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. Wow. Of that number, at least 50% struggled either during pregnancy or before. So one in five to one in seven after birth, at least half that number before. As far as dad's uh, perinatal mental health, one in 10 dads suffers from Mm. some type of depression or anxiety or other mental health challenge after they have a baby. dads too. Yes. That's something we really don't talk about. No, we don't talk about that at all. Mm -hmm. Nope, we don't. (laughs) We don't. Sometimes they're called the unsupportive partner. Sometimes Mm. they're called the impatient dad, et cetera. But they're usually struggling in some way. And actually, if mom is struggling, 50% of 
dads will be struggling in that situation. So it's a very large number. Hmm. Wow. And we tend to joke about it with the dads. Like we joke about, oh, it looks like he's put on a little baby weight too. When what that really means is he's stress eating because he can't handle this situation. Right. But it often turns into, well, that is, yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty big number. And you asked about, you know, what might those things be? What might yeah. those ch- challenges be? Because obviously it's not a monolithic problem. Like there are right. different challenges that people face. What might those look like? Right. So I feel like I should start out by clarifying there's a difference between baby blues and postpartum depression or other mood anxiety disorders. So most brand new moms will not feel themselves at some point in the first two weeks. Okay. That's pretty normal. Having a baby is a huge change to your life, not to mention your body. Mm-hmm. You know, you've just had a, a being exit your body in some way or another. <laughs> change. Mm-hmm. Lots of hormone changes and lots of new demands on your time and on your body, actually, especially if you're breastfeeding. And if you're not breastfeeding, for whatever reason, you have to figure out what to do with all this milk that's coming in and how to shut it down. So lots of changes that are really out of your control. So because of the hormonal changes, you can have and sleep deprivation, you could have mood changes and just general sadness, crying that can last for up to two weeks. But if you're having problems like that and others beyond the two weeks, then it's no longer the baby blues. Mm. That's a really helpful clarification because I know that, you know, after it is, it's an emotional roller coaster. Mm -hmm. You're tired, you're recovering from birth. You're not getting any sleep. You're trying to figure out this new human being. And in my case, I thought that as soon as the baby left my body, my body would look like it did before the baby. And I come home from the hospital and I still look like I'm six, seven months pregnant. You know, and that's a shocker the first time it happened. Your maternity clothes are still your clothes. And maybe you thought that wouldn't be the case. So it, it is. It's a lot of change. But as you say, that those feelings shouldn't persist indefinitely. Correct. That's right. So 60 to 80 percent of moms experience the baby blues. Wow. Um, But yeah, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And for all the reasons we just mentioned, um, it's pretty, it's very common. Um, And I would even say normal. It's when you start to have problems that last longer than that or even show up later. Mm -hmm. So sometimes postpartum depression or anxiety or other anxiety disorders or even psychosis doesn't show up right away. So it really can happen any time during the first year. You may have the baby balloons and then get over it and then do well, but six months in, you are not feeling yourself. You might be feeling low. You might be struggling with anxiety. Maybe you start having panic attacks. Maybe you start to have symptoms of trauma. Maybe you had a really hard birth, a traumatic birth, and you thought you were doing fine, but all of a sudden at six months you start having nightmares or you get afraid to go see the doctor or something like that. So really, we need to keep our antennas up 
or on our friends, on our partners, on our family members, really for at least the first year. So even if it doesn't show up for six to eight months, it can still be postpartum depression. It could, or postpartum anxiety. Uh-huh. It could, there's panic disorders. PTSD doesn't always show up right away. Bipolar disorder can be pretty sneaky. When it comes to something like postpartum psychosis, which is usually what makes the news, mm-hmm. when we hear awful tragedies where a mom kills not only herself, but also her child, or maybe even her whole family, which is just absolutely horrendous. Um, that is not postpartum depression. That is psychosis. That is a very serious and a very rare, thankfully, uh, disorder that can happen postpartum. And when I say rare, postpartum psychosis shows up in about one in every 1,200 births. And of that number, less than 1% does something that is newsworthy. So it's very rare, but we do tend to hear about it because it's so shocking. Yeah, those are the really, really bad cases that we tend to hear about. But all of these numbers that you're telling us, it is, it's eye-opening. Like, I, I, I personally know a lot of people, a lot of women who have struggled, but it's seems far more common than I think we might realize to, to have an issue. And I'm glad we're talking about it so we can help our friends identify if they're having an issue, especially that post six months even, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we're like, oh, it can't be this anymore. And like, mm-hmm. you were six months ago. Why am I still struggling? So I, I really appreciate that. You've mentioned a lot of terms. And I know one thing that some of our listeners and our, our group people really wanted to know was just the differences between each of those things, especially postpartum depression and anxiety. I think we really often talk about postpartum depression. Like that's kind of the big one that everyone talks about. But I know mm-hmm. several of my friends have dealt with anxiety and they're like, I did, nobody talks about ang- the anxiety yeah. part of this. So what are, what are kind of those different buckets of things that can happen and, and how they're different? Sure. And that's a really re- great question. And I think there's a good reason why there can be a lot of confusion about that. And I think one of the reasons for that, maybe not the only reason, is because depression and anxiety often happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. In my psychobabble world, we say they're comorbid. <laughs> yeah, sounds terrible. <laughs> okay, a lot of moms with depression also have anxiety. A lot of moms with anxiety, you know, I like to say, well, if you have anxiety long enough, that can be quite depressing. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. Been there, <laughs> done that. So there's good reason for that. Some practitioners will say they see more postpartum anxiety than they see depression. I don't know the exact statistics on it, but I think postpartum depression can look like sadness, just feeling down all the time, low energy, not really joy or pleasure in much, maybe sleeping too much, maybe sleeping too little, feeling hopeless, feeling lots of guilt all the time, maybe eating too much or eating too little loss of interest in sexual intimacy, although I don't know many women who have just had a baby who have lots of interest in that anyway, right away. <laughs> Maybe well, you would need some other diagnostic tools alongside that sure. one. For that. <laughs> right. To be sure. Yeah, right. So, you know, that would be more the depression side. I think more that 
anxiety side could be irritability, short temper, which can also go with depression, actually. Postpartum rage, which is kind of a new thing some people are talking about, just having feelings of rage that maybe come out of nowhere. Hmm. That could be a symptom. Excessive worry, fear, checking on the baby a lot, especially after the first month or two, if you feel like you always have to constantly be checking while they're sleeping. If you're always worrying about them spitting up several months in or after you've seen the doctor multiple times about it, that would be another symptom of postpartum anxiety. Feeling like you have to be busy all the time uh, would be another symptom of anxiety. So those are not an exhaustive list, but I, I hope that they're helpful. Yeah, I appreciate you sort of defining those more clearly because I think in terms of, we, we all know about baby blues and we know that how common that is. And we all hear about these crazy cases of psychosis, but knowing, getting a clear fix on, on the things that fall in the middle, that's harder, harder to understand. So it's really helpful to have some clear things to look for. And I'm sure there are some people out there right now going, yeah, yes, that was me or that is me. Yeah. 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 And finally having sort of some clarity on, I wasn't just making this up. Mm. I was actually, or am actually Mm. experiencing this. Mm. I I hope there's somebody who's getting that message right now Mm. that it, that's a thing. No, I hope so too. (laughs) Yeah. So is there any connection if you are somebody who maybe knows that you, if you already struggle with one of these areas before you are pregnant, is there any correlation between, oh, you'll probably struggle with it even more postpartum or they aren't actually connected? There's somehow totally different mechanisms and that doesn't, doesn't seem to be any sort of connection there. That's a great question. And, and thanks for asking that. You are at higher risk for postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, if you've struggled with some type of mental health disorder in the past, it might not look the same. In fact, it often doesn't look the same, but you are at higher risk. It's not a guarantee that that will happen, but if you have, I think it's important to talk to your doctor about that, Mm -hmm. to let them know and to be honest about what mental health struggles you may have had in the past so that you can take steps to either try to prevent or lessen the symptoms that you could have during pregnancy or postpartum. Mm-hmm. Are there other risk factors besides a prior mental health challenges mm-hmm. that sort of set people up for a greater chance of, of developing a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder? I love that vocab. I'm going to carry that one with me. <laughs> I feel it's smart. <laughs> we try to cover it all, you know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> nothing out. Yes, there are risk factors. However, I have to say that it can happen to anyone. Mm. PMADs do not discriminate. It doesn't matter how strong your faith is. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you're from. It, it doesn't discriminate. So it's important to know that and to know that if it does happen, it's not your fault. Because one of the first things moms will do is blame themselves. As soon as you get the title mom, you get the title, or not title, but you get the phrase, it's my fault, or the mom guilt, right? Mm -hmm. 
all moms are familiar with the mom guilt. So that just unfortunately often comes with it, but it's not your fault. And so I think it's important for moms to know that number one, if they are struggling, they're not alone. It's not their fault. And with help, they will be well. They will get better. So important to know that all of these things, even the worst situations are treatable. The sooner you get help, the better. And we want to help you. There are people everywhere across this country, no matter where you are, there are therapists either in your area or in your state who want to be helpful to you. There are doctors out there who want to be helpful. So there's lots of hope. I think that's important to know. But getting back to the risk factors, if you have a personal or family history of depression, anxiety, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, other disorders, that's a risk factor. If you abruptly stop breastfeeding, that can sometimes be a trigger, Hmm. the ending of breastfeeding. If you are about to go back to work, kind of that transition time can be a trigger for PMADS. If you have a history of PMS, premenstrual syndrome, or other issues like that, that is a risk factor. If you've had trouble taking birth control pills, if, if that's something that has affected you on an emotional level in a negative way, that's a risk factor. If you've had thyroid issues, And also, if you have stopped taking psychiatric medication because you had depression and anxiety in the the past before you got pregnant or postpartum, that is also a risk factor. Mm. So there are others, such as if you've had a NICU baby. Okay. If you have been placed on bed rest during pregnancy. I myself was on full bed rest for nine weeks with my second baby. Wow. And that was her. That's a whole nother story. But, you know, that was a risk factor for me. And the first time I experienced pretty bad postpartum depression was after that delivery. If you have a type A personality, if, you know, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. You'll get back to it. And if you have a trauma history or a traumatic birth, Mm -hmm. thing like that. So as as you can see, there's a lot of risk factors, which maybe is one of the reasons why it can be so prevalent. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to share some more of your personal story? You've mentioned a a few things. I'm I'm just curious, as you're comfortable, how you discovered that this was something that you were struggling with and what you were able, like the how you were able to work through that, because it sounds really terrible. And yeah, nine weeks of bed rest sounds brutal. It was rough, <laughs> especially for a type A personality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people would do better with that than others. Right. You know, I've, I grew up on a farm, so I kind of pride myself on working hard and mm-hmm. being somewhat independent. You know, I'm at least 50% German. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Born and raised Lutheran, you know, baptizing and all that stuff. We're saved by grace, but that's no reason to be lazy. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I got that that (laughs) t-shirt. Oh, gosh. The things we tell ourselves, we get ourselves into so much trouble sometimes. Uh Uh-huh. 
But so I, um, with my first, so I had to back up. So my first child was, I got pregnant after my deaconess internship. I was working on a master's thesis at Concordia Seminary. My husband was a fourth year student. Things were going really well until about 30 weeks. I started to feel some labor pains and I was admitted into the hospital at 30 weeks. They were able to hold off labor for two weeks. And my son was born at 32 weeks. Unfortunately, I had to miss my husband's seminary graduation, which was hard. But nevertheless, we were grateful that we were able to hold off the delivery of our son for that long. He was in the hospital for 21 days. We had great support about less than a month after he came home. We moved to his first call in Michigan. And again, just had lots of social support. There were lots of positive things happening. And I felt like I did quite well, all things considered. By the grace of God, I had actually trained as a hospital chaplain in a hospital that had a NICU. Mm -hmm. And I was able to walk with some parents who had babies in the NICU. So I was very familiar with the sights and sounds and kind of what was going on. That was a gift in a lot of ways that I feel like God gave me, prepared me without me knowing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we decided to have a second child. I was still working on a master's thesis at that time. (laughs) Drag it out. Why not? Yeah, I had to make it really good, you know, maybe perfect. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But at any rate, I was trying to get it done before we had the second baby. And they were watching me very closely because once you have a preterm baby, you are at higher risk for another preterm baby. Yeah. So... A little over halfway through the pregnancy, I started to have symptoms that could be preterm labor. So around 26 weeks, the doctor said, well, you're going on full bed rest. So that meant that I could lay on the couch all day on my left side. I was allowed to go to the bathroom. I was allowed to get a shower and then I could go to bed. And that was about it while I had a two and a half year old at home. Oh, so that was hard. (laughs) And then, of course, we had no family there. Of course. Yeah. Each of us had family at least six hours away. But thank God we had an amazing church family. People really stepped up and took amazing care of us. They would help us with our laundry. They brought us meals. They would babysit our son. Mm. They would take him to preschool if we needed him to. Really anything that we needed, we had amazing support. The problem with laying down for nine weeks is that your muscles atrophy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You grow very weak. Yeah. And so around, mm, I think it was 35 or 36 weeks, they let me up, (laughs) let me get up, get off bed rest. And I, that was hard. You know, there was a part of me that was so happy to be free, but I would take a few steps across the room and feel winded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was 
very frustrating, especially since I, well, like I said, I kind of prided myself on being self-sufficient. And yeah, I think that bed rest was also the grace of God and that he worked on curing me of that and learning (laughs) to let other people help me. Yeah. Which is not easy for most of us to let people help us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... So I struggled, eventually had my daughter around 36 weeks. Thankfully, she was very healthy, beautiful, uh, really relatively quick delivery. Came home. We had the baptism pretty quickly. And after that, people offered to help. But I thought I was going to have some family support after the baptism and all of that. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. And I was really struggling. And yet I was, I don't know if I was too afraid or too proud or felt like I had already been helped so much by my church family. I didn't let them know. Mm. I didn't tell them that I still was having a really hard time. And I fell into a pretty deep depression. I remember seeing my doctor, I think about six weeks postpartum and telling her, you know, that I wasn't doing great. And at that time, most OBGYNs weren't screening for postpartum depression like they are now. But she said, you know, there's this support group in town. She gave me the brochure for, that was a support group that was founded by a foundation in town. And she said, well, only you know how you really feel. You know, here's this. And, you know, maybe check it out if it's for you. Well, it took me a while to make that phone call, <laughs> as it often takes many of us who are struggling, because mm-hmm. yep. it takes so much courage. Yes. That call. So much courage because yes. you're scared. Uh, you have so much guilt. Well, and if you already have low energy, right? Yeah. From when there's your support. mental illness, mm-hmm. how much more does it take to make that call? Right. Low energy and low like literally physical weakness as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. right. right. And shame, you know, mm-hmm. I, it's so easy to go to that shame place to think that you're a bad mom mm-hmm. or not only that, but for me, a bad pastor's wife or oh, yeah. you know, maybe you're an ungrateful Christian or something, you know, we can be really hard on ourselves. Yeah. yeah. That's easy to do. So I eventually did go. Thankfully, and I didn't say a whole lot, but I felt a lot less alone there, just listening to other moms talk about their struggles. I really felt like I wasn't alone, and that is very powerful. So I'm grateful for that. And really, that was my lifeline during that time. I did try a therapist as well. Unfortunately, I don't think she had training in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. So I saw her twice and realized this isn't working. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know where else to go to find someone else. I wish I had had someone else to see. I really could have used it. But again, because of the support group, I was able to get through that time. So I'm very grateful to them. How heartbreaking it must have been to finally work up the courage to go to a therapist and then realize this isn't going to help. Yeah, that's pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it is hard now. And that was 
16, 17 years ago. Now there's so much more education in the mental health community about PMADS. There's also a lot more awareness in the medical community, which is wonderful. And Postpartum Support International, which is an organization I cannot say enough good about. They have a helpline that any mom can call at any time. In fact, I want to share that phone number with everyone. In addition to the website, it's postpartum.net. It's a great source of information. You can even find therapists on there in your area and mm-hmm. at the very least in your state, if not in your area, that have special training in PMATS. And if you specifically want a Christian counselor or faith-based counselor, you can ask for that too. Oh, that's that really helpline. Wow. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. Which is really wonderful. That helpline number is 1-800-944-4773. And you can actually call or text that number, which is great too. And the website so. is postpartum.net? Correct. That sounds easy enough that you could remember that even with brain fog. <laughs> yes. Isn't that great? <laughs> so tell us how, how your story, and well, it's obviously it hasn't ended, it's still <laughs> ongoing, but when you start to come out of that time in your life, how long mm-hmm. did it take? What did it feel like? Was it all at once or gradual? How did you come away from that? experience? Yeah, that's a great question. I believe it was gradual. And I think that's pretty typical. There, I don't think there's any quick fix for PMEDS. I do think it lasted longer for me than it needed to. Mm-hmm. If I had gotten help sooner, mm-hmm. I think it would have really lessened the suffering. And I think especially after my third child, if I had had help that was a little more educated, I wouldn't have felt tortured for as long as I did. So after my third child, I also struggled. I don't think as soon as I did as after the first one. My third pregnancy was actually my easiest and lasted the longest. Hmm. Well, I made it to 37 weeks, which was awesome. Hey, yeah. But... At some point, and I can't remember how soon, I started to have really scary intrusive thoughts. Oh. And I think this is really important to talk about because there are many moms that have scary intrusive thoughts about, yeah, about something happening to themselves or about something happening to the baby or even and especially about them harming the baby in some way. Yeah. And so often those scary intrusive thoughts, which are, by the way, uh, a symptom of postpartum OCD, it's not psychosis. Those scary thoughts bother the mom. They really upset the mom. In fact, the mom is often horrified by having those thoughts. And those thoughts could be something like thoughts of using knives to harm their child, which are absolutely horrific to imagine, but they can't get that thought out of their mind. Mm-hmm. Sometimes of drowning the baby when they're giving them a bath or, you know, walking maybe on a second story and thoughts about the baby going over the edge. All of these things are incredibly troublesome to the mom. And they, they're not her thoughts. No, they are intrusive. Mm-hmm. They are not What does thoughts. that mean, intrusive? It means It means that they come in unwillingly and unwanted. Mm -hmm. 
kind of like if you have someone that's like intrusive on your life, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you don't want them. <laughs> Neighbor kid who just walks in your house. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, that's why we call them intrusive and they can be uh, repetitive and it's very difficult for the mom to turn them off. And they can be so scary for someone to, number one, admit to themselves, let alone admit to someone else. Yeah. And at the time that I was struggling with thoughts like that, I knew enough about child protection and and mental health that I thought if I tell someone I'm having these scary, intrusive thoughts, they are going to lock me up. They are going to take away my baby. They will take away my other children. There's no way I can admit these things to yeah. someone. And so that's why I suffered for so long. And it does feel like torture. It's, it's terrible. So I often ask moms that I'm working with, are you having any scary intrusive thoughts that really bother you and you would never want to carry out and you're afraid to tell anyone about? I think that's a really important question to ask moms. And when they tell me yes, it's so freeing to be able to tell them mm-hmm. You're not crazy. That word intrusive is so helpful. It says this isn't who you are. This right. isn't what you would do. I, I experienced that strangely with my fourth baby and I was not depressed. Mm-hmm. I was, it was the easiest. She was the best baby, slept through the night, like super young. I had tons of family support. I was happy. I was healthy. And so it really puzzled me. When I kept having these thoughts come into my brain, I'm like, no, what are you doing here? And thankfully, it didn't last long. But if it had lasted more than a week or two, I would have been just pulling my hair out trying to get rid of them because they are so disturbing. And who are you going to tell? Yeah. Right. Right. So I'm so glad that you asked that question, because even if no other challenges hit you, if those hit you, it is like torture. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't me, right? You're exactly right, and I'm I'm sorry that you had that experience. I don't it think I've ever very... told anybody that, but here we are, Rachel. <laughs> oh, because oh. who are you going to tell? And then you know, wait. Mm-hmm. By God's grace, it went away, and I developed some coping mechanisms where I would sort of imaginatively body block these thoughts and place myself between the thought and the baby. Mm. You know, just say no. I'm her, I'm her mother. This thought doesn't go any nearer her than this. But, mm. you know, and, and like I said, by God's grace, it did not last long. But that was, I think, the first time I had this inclination of how bad it could be. Mm. Oh, so, yeah. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> that it wasn't any worse than that. Yeah. But so much compassion for people who can't climb out of that because mm. they just, you don't want them. They just come. It's horrifying. Yes, it is. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that, Rachel. Many more. Didn't mean to, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) So many more moms struggle with those than you would think, really. It it doesn't always mean that you have a disorder. It can come and go, Mm -hmm. kind of like you described. But if something, really, if anything goes on for more than two weeks, then it's important to get help. For it, but so what kind of help is available for people? There is lots of help available. The first place I encourage moms to go to is their doctor. 
their OBGYN, their family practice doctor. It's important for their doctor to know what's going on uh, and to screen them, diagnose them, uh, discuss possible treatment options with them, which may or may not include medication. It's also important for the doctor to rule out possible physical causes. For example, if someone's thyroid levels are off, that can cause problems with depression. Those are all things for the doctor to, to work with them online. I also encourage moms who are struggling to reach out to a mental health provider so that the mental health provider can screen, assess, diagnose. That mental health provider might also have other resources that they can encourage based on mom's symptoms and needs. Uh, a support group, if there's one in your area, is also a wonderful place to get help. There are postpartum support groups online. I believe PSI even has some that are free and meet online. So if you're in a really rural or underserved area, there is help available. Let your partner know you're struggling. Let your friends know. Let your family know if you feel safe sharing with your family. If you have friends at church, please tell them so that they can encourage you, support you, pray for you and with you, uh, offer help to you. If you're having any thoughts about suicide, it's especially important to get help. There is a National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, 988, that anyone can call at any time, night or day, to get help. Whether you're having thoughts about suicide or just having a mental health crisis, you can call that number and get immediate help, which is wonderful. And if you are feeling suicidal, it's also important to either take yourself or ask someone to take you to an emergency room and call your doctor so that you can get immediate help. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of help out there. You've just got to ask or let people help you. And that, I think, can be the hardest step. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry I interrupted your story after the third pregnancy when you were having intrusive thoughts. How did that story and no problem. How did that story end? So I did go to a therapist who didn't, again, didn't really know a lot about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. <laughs> oh, man, no, I liked her. And I felt, you know, I told myself, okay, she might not know a whole lot and I don't know anybody who does, but she's at least a person that I can be accountable to and that can help me in some way. So that's kind of how I reasoned through staying with her for a while. And she really was a wonderful counselor. It wasn't her fault. She didn't have the education in that area so much. So I actually never told her about my scary intrusive thoughts. I, I was afraid to. For the reasons I mentioned earlier, I was afraid I would get locked up. Phone calls would be made and my children would be taken away. And again, I think that's one of the reasons why I suffered longer than I needed to, which is unfortunate. I eventually ended up going on medication. My husband was having a really hard time with my emotional life. And because of him, I ended up going to the doctor and getting medication. And I was very much against medication at that time, but I did eventually take it and it did help some, which was great. And 
I'm not exactly sure what or when I came out of it, but I know that I did at some point. So again, this is why I think it's important to get help as soon as you can, as soon as you recognize that you are not feeling yourself, that something is off. It's important to get help so that you don't feel alone and so that you can be well for yourself, for your children or child, for your families as soon as you can. So Nadine, you've mentioned the prevalence of postpartum, I don't remember the acronym yet, (laughs) postpartum mental health challenges. And you've also mentioned that We've come a long way. Has is it increasing? Why is it only recently that people seem to understand more about it? Is this something that has only recently become more intense? Why why is it seemingly within the last sixteen years that you've made such strides in responding to it? Or is it just I don't know what's what's going on with that? I wish I knew the answer ah. to that. You know. And I also wish I had an evidence-based response to give you. I'm going to take a guess, an educated guess. I think one of the reasons is because stigma about mental health issues is coming down in general across the board. Thank God. Yeah. Right? Thank God we're talking about mental health struggles, challenges, et cetera. I think maternal mental health maybe is a little bit slower to come along because we have this idea in our culture that motherhood is just so beautiful and that it maybe should be easy, you know, because this is what women are supposed to do. It's natural. Yeah. Right. It's natural. Yeah. God designed it even. Right. Let's forget about the curse of the fall, but okay, whatever. Yeah. We are. We breeze over, you will have gene and childbearing part, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the pain, I think, is not only physical. And I was actually thinking about that verse this morning, and I thought, man, I would like to go back and do some exegesis on that. And, you know, what does that really mean? That would be fascinating. Yeah, that's a it, very interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, it would hmm. be very interesting to do. So... Like you said, it's kind of like, this is what God designed us to do, you know, like breastfeeding, you know? Well, it's natural. Doesn't mean it's easy. Right. You don't just like magically know how it works. Yeah. Yeah. That is is one of about 15 misconceptions I could think of. (laughs) Or more, right? Or, yes, once you have the baby you've always wanted, you're exceedingly happy and, of course, fully rested all the time for the rest of your life. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Not how it works. Mm -mm. It's just not how it is. You know, I I like to tell moms, I said, you know, some of those images that we have in our mind come from watching diaper commercials because we see everybody looks happy and there's all this bliss. And of course, the baby is always cooperative in the diaper change. And you know, There's never any poo. No, no. And of course it doesn't smell, right? <laughs> I'm like, that's how they're selling diapers to you. That's not what real motherhood looks like. Yeah. So 
again, I wish I could had a better answer for you, but I think those are some of the reasons. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a mental health thing and we don't talk about those. And it's a women's health thing. <laughs> and those don't get as much attention as they should. And nope. then it's a motherhood thing. And that's supposed to be all like, you know, lollipops and ice cream. Yeah. So all sorts of reasons why it's only recently begun to be higher profile mm-hmm. as we start to realize that we've neglected some areas in our conversation. I, yeah. I think that's true. And I think it can be especially tricky in the church. Mm. How so? Because kind of like you said, this is what God designed us to do, to have babies. And well, what if you're struggling with infertility? Mm. Is that your fault? You know, of course, I don't believe it is, but women can feel that way. Or what if you had a loss? Mm-hmm. You know, there's that's a whole nother episode. So is infertility. Mm. So if you then have a healthy child, well, moms can feel like, well, I have everything I ever wanted. Uh, why am I struggling so much? You know, I have this great gift from God. Why am I not grateful? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so sad? You know, there can be so, like I said earlier, there's so much guilt that can often be present that it can be very difficult to admit. And I think sometimes in the church, we can be a bit judgmental of moms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can be really hard on moms, especially if they seem like they're not coping well enough. Well, let me tell you, a sign of struggling to cope is a sign that you're having trouble and that you need love, that you need mercy, that you need encouragement, that you need support, that you need people to rally around you and love you. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, should start with your church family. Well, that leads to my next question. Yes. How can we as women in the church do better to love our sisters mm. who may be struggling and may not even be able to share that they're struggling? I think. Number one, suspend judgment, which is so easy for us to do, right? To, to judge someone else, let alone <laughs> ourselves. Be compassionate. Try to be a friend. You know, remind her that she's not alone, that it's not her fault that she's struggling, and that if she gets help, she will be well. She will get better. Offer to help with what you can. Meal trains are wonderful things, for example. So is cleaning someone's bathroom. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell moms, okay, if somebody wants to come over and visit and see the baby, that's great. And then hand them the toilet bowl cleaner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Saying, right? Yep. Would yeah. you would you mind cleaning my toilet? It's looking pretty rough these days and I don't have time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Give them chores. Yep. Yeah. Like, like I said, I couldn't have survived bed rest if someone didn't do that for me. Mm-hmm. Because my husband was busy working and taking care of our toddler when I when he was home and we didn't have someone else taking care of him. Let people do your laundry. That can be a hard one, but let them do it. When I was on light bed rest with my third pregnancy, I had a wonderful grandma from the church come over. And I remember her folding my laundry oh. in my living room and keeping me company. It was so sweet. And just her company was, was helpful. Offer to take a mom's older kids to the park so that she can get some rest. Offer to watch the baby if she wants you to so she can get a shower or take a nap or just have some time alone. You know, 
just encourage her, point out things that you see that she's doing well. Remind her that she is a great mom because I can promise you she does not feel like she's doing a good job. Yeah. Like I said earlier, it can be really hard to reach out for help. So you can always offer if you've had a conversation with her about talking to her doctor or seeing a therapist, you can always offer to go with her. You can offer to take her. You can offer to sit there while she makes the phone call. You know, there are so many different ways, kind of depending upon your level of closeness, what feels appropriate for you, that you can be a support, an encouragement, and a light for her in a really difficult time. Are these things we should be doing for all new mothers and not just those who are letting us know they struggle because so many of them won't tell us? Yes. Okay. <laughs> they I'm, like, are. I'm looking, I'm thinking, so I'm going to look are. out in the church and be like, several new mothers, none of them have told me they're struggling with this, but mm -hmm. maybe I should just assume that at least one of them, and I don't know which one, needs yes. a little little help. I mm -hmm. think all new moms need that, whether it's their first baby or their 10th baby, and especially if it's their 10th baby. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> they need that. It's a very vulnerable time yeah. to be a new mom, to be sleep deprived, to be trying to figure out life with this new little person who's joined your world. Yes, it's it's a really important time. And I think we as a society used to do a better job of that, mm -hmm. especially when we were more embedded into large extended families. Yes. When we were born and raised and had families in the same small town, I, I think that was a little more organic. But now in these very mobile times, I think it's even more important for the church to truly be the body of Christ that embraces new moms and new dads mm -hmm. to really be the hands and feet of Christ that serve during this time. It's very important for us to do. Yeah. yeah. And I think also understanding that these things, struggles can happen if it's not your first child too. I think sometimes once a mom has one baby, they have another one and we're like, oh, you know what you're doing. Like, you're fine. Yes. But that's, that's not the case. Like I've heard you say, and, and even Rachel with your story, like these things can happen, even if you were fine with your first or second or third, this can happen at any time. And so yeah. being mindful of that as women in the church that, regardless of what number of pregnancy it is, making mm -hmm. sure we reach out and keep those relationships strong and make sure that those women know that they have someone they can talk to, regardless of where they are and how old their kids are. Mm -hmm. We can all be in relationship and, and support each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being a mom is a lot of hard work. Even if you're not a mom, you know that just by watching moms, right? <laughs> yep. It's hard. So is being a dad. And it's a great privilege and there can be so much joy. So if there's anything we can do to help moms experience really the joy of that role, let's do it. You know, what an awesome privilege we have to be able to help families. So as we're coming to a close here, I think it's important to maybe go back and just revisit, make sure people know when things are, when things necess necessary. Necessitate? Necessitate. Necessitate. Whoa. <laughs> when 
Like, what are the red flags? What do we really need to be watching for for something that's that really needs to be triggering a more robust medical response when we're dealing with these mental health issues? Sure. Very important uh, question. If a mom is suicidal, having suicidal thoughts, even if she doesn't have a plan, and if this is a mom or a pregnant mom, anyone who's listening, if you're having thoughts about suicide, please reach out, tell someone, call 988, the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Talk to someone there if you are feeling not just, well, I've thought about it once in a while. If it's more serious than that, talk to your doctor, go to the emergency room, emergency department. They have people who can help you and want to get you immediate attention to keep you safe. If you are a mom or are with a mom as family member or dad, anyone else who has not slept for several days, that is a red flag. That mm. could be a symptom of mania. So please get that mom medical attention right away. Call her doctor, get her into the doctor as soon as you can. She needs to be seen so that she can be treated. That could be a symptom of bipolar disorder. That could also, you know, be something else that's not good. So we want to get that treated right away. If she is having hallucinations, if she is seeing or hearing things that are not there, that is a red flag. She needs to go to the emergency department. If she's having delusions, if she is believing things that are not true, if she thinks that she is Mary, the mother of God, reincarnated, for example, or believes some other type of non-truth, please get her to the emergency department right away. Okay, those could be symptoms of postpartum psychosis. So we want to get her safe as quickly as we can. In terms of resources, and I wanted to mention there are some great books out there, podcasts, websites. I mentioned postpartum.net, the website for Postpartum Support International. Some podcasts that are great are Mom and Mind by Dr. Kat. The Wellness Pod by Sherry Ann James is great. And some of my favorite books that I love to recommend to moms who are struggling is This Isn't What I Expected. <laughs> and Valerie Raskin. Most moms are not expecting to struggle postpartum. So great title. And then there's another book that I think is great called Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. Hmm. Also by Karen Kleiman. It's a wonderful book. It's illustrated. It's almost like, you know, in comic it's book like format. Book. It does. It's, it does. That's amazing. It's it's a wonderful book. And I have a lot of moms. question, who, though, for you now that I'm seeing that. How appropriate is something like that for a baby shower? Like, <laughs> okay. I'm so just curious. Like, is it, is it like, no, that's that's the wrong vibe for a baby shower? <laughs> I love doing, yes, I love doing books at baby showers. I'm like, maybe I should include a book like that for the mom. Is that a good idea? Or no, you're like, no, that's not the right time. Another time is another yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> good question. I would... I would go with brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? Okay. (laughs) Better Eric Carl's out there than one, but okay. (laughs) You're amazing, Erin. 
You're so well-meaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, we'll save that for another time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, timing's important, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But it, it is a great book. So, and then Beyond the Blues, Understanding and Treating Prenatal and Postpartum Depression and Anxiety is also great. But maybe, going back to your question, Erin, maybe something like that is what we need to get moms feeling like, okay, this is, I'm not alone. You know, like this is not abnormal. If I end up struggling with this, it's not like Does that weird. book belong in like the church nursery? Hey. <laughs> right room sort of thing as like a resource you pick up and look at while you're waiting. I mean, I would not give it personally as a baby shower gift, but I can see how under the right circumstances, just as a way of saying, hey, Mm -hmm. I understand that this may be something that hits you. Mm -hmm. And if it does, Mm -hmm. it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think we need a better way to communicate that to moms than we currently do. Yeah. It's kind of like. You know, everybody loves to prepare for the wedding, but not many people prepare for the marriage. Yes. Well put. Lots of people love to prepare for the baby and the baby's arrival. And we love to go to birthing classes, but not many people prepare emotionally, psychologically, spiritually for having and raising a baby after the baby's born. Mm -hmm. So I would love it if birth classes and some do would address mental health issues that could come up postpartum or maybe are happening right now during pregnancy. And, you know, there does need to be a better way or better ways for us to let moms know exactly what you said. Hey, just want you to know this could happen. So maybe this is a good book to give the new mom. Yeah. Because I guarantee, Erin, if you had given me that book... You would have been like the first person I call when they started having issues because they'd be like, Aaron gets it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's important that moms know who they can talk to before they're having issues. Like, don't oh, wait God. until don't wait until there's a problem to start getting to know the people. Like, build those relationships so that there's no question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A mom in your congregation should know who to talk to if she's having an issue. And maybe that's you. Well, that's great. Great yeah. idea. Nadine, this has been such good information. I'm so glad you could share all of that with us. I think this is going to be really helpful for our listeners. We will put all of those wonderful resources and links and phone numbers and websites into the show notes for this episode so people don't have to be like rewinding and scribbling notes. So we'll have all of that in the show notes. Nadine, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy to be with you. Ladies, you can join us in our Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook. You can also follow us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can share your stories with us if you've struggled, if you've had, if you've found really good resources for your own uh, mental health struggles postpartum. We would love to know what those are too. So you can drop those in the comments on Facebook or on Instagram. You can also sign up for our e-newsletter in the show notes for this episode, or you can send us an email, lutheranladies at kfuo.org. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash lounge or on your favorite podcasting app or on the KFUO radio app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. And I'm Rachel.
Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us, too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org slash give.